I just had a thought while we were singing that. Um, I was actually thinking about this in first service, and I, I didn't say anything. I don't know why. Um, but I was, I specifically remember we made this set list over a month ago, and I put that song in there, and my wife was helping me, and I was like, oh, make sure you put that song all in there. Um, and I've been listening to that song. We've been out of church, and it's the first time we're back in, like, three months or something crazy. And... Um, you know, during the whole time we've been off, I'm like, oh, I, for us, w when you're on a church staff, you're very, like, program-minded. Like, our, we're, we're trying to provide the best experience we possibly can because there's so many different types of people that come in here. And I was like, man, if we, if we go to church and it's, it's not new or it's not different when we come back or if, if you know, it doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't even really know what different really means in the church world anymore because I think if you went into 10 different churches someone's probably going to sing a song someone's going to talk someone's going to give you announcements you know we're going to ask you to give to the community and you know all those facets of church that happen are all still there and I was journaling this whole 
three months of like, God, what's going to change? What, what's going to be different? Because, you know, obviously now there's this big pandemic and if people come back and it doesn't feel different or whatever, the church isn't going to grow or it's going to, it's going to fail. Or it's going to do all these things. And I really felt like God told me through this whole time that it's like, it's not the programs at the church that need to change. It's the people's minds and hearts that haven't been affected. And, um, and I, maybe I'm just talking about myself. Maybe you guys all got it right. You know, and I just feel like God is telling us we got to get our minds right. We got to get our hearts right, you know, and, and it's like it doesn't matter if there's a million people in this room if, we are on, if we're not all in agreement that God is who he says he is, you know. And, and when, you come in, when you come into this church, we have a staff that is just seeking God, not, not because we want to do things and buy things and be, be a certain way so that we can please people that are coming in here, but because we really have nothing to offer you other than this message of who Jesus Christ is and, and how he's going to work in your life, you know. And so when you sing a song like that, it's so easy to come in church because, again, we're all programmed years. I mean, this is probably the first long break we've had. If you've been in church any period of point in your life, there's never been a time where it's like, okay, everyone just shut down, go online, do whatever. It's been the longest time. And for me, I've been so encouraged because I feel like God's saying, you know what, it's, it's okay to have a little break because now you can get your mind right. And we all need to reset and just say, God, whatever we thought the church was, whatever we thought it was going to be, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. And so we open up our hearts and we say, God, what do you have for us? And I think the, the easiest explanation I can give is when you're hungry for food, you know, we eat every day and I probably eat, you know, tons of meals all throughout the year where I just, I need to eat. But when you get that one meal that you're just like, I want to go do that. You have this sense of expectation. I want to go do that man, it's amazing how much better that is, you know, and I think the church, I think it's time for us as a church, myself included, to say, God, I don't want to come here and just sing songs about who you are, but I want that to infiltrate my life and become the core of why we're actually coming to church, and so I encourage you, we're going to sing a song right now called The Goodness of God. We're going to sing about something that's just so underplayed in the church of how good God really is to us, you know, um, I think you can take the last three months and whether, whatever you've been going through, you can find something where God has really been good to you. And so we're gonna believe for that. And so I just encourage you, I wanna challenge you, uh, much like I've been challenged this, the last three months to not, don't come back to church expecting these radical changes because we're still gonna sing songs, we're still gonna preach, you know, we're still gonna do all the normal church things. But when we get our minds right, when we get our hearts right, and we all come into agreement, that's when God shows up and does something that can only happen in those moments. And, and we're, seeking, we're seeking God together, and that's what's important, you know, and, and, and that's a good reason to come together through a pandemic. And so we're, as a worship team, we're absolutely delighted to be back with you guys. I know it's kind of smaller in here, but I believe this is plenty of people in one room to agree that God is going to do something amazing, and he will. Amen? Let's sing together.
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In fact, um, man, I think that's praiseworthy, right? Our God is a good God, and I think that would be great one more time. Let's have an expression of faith, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, God, for your power and your strength. We thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you have been faithful. The God in the season that has been unlike any other, uh, certainly in, in American history, it seems like, uh, God, that, uh, that the church um, has not been able to meet together in person over these last number of months. But God, I thank you that you've been faithful in the middle of all of this. And God, no matter what uh, perhaps the enemy has tried to use to devalue faith or to uh, in any way hinder the spread of the gospel of Christ, Lord, I thank you that you are still good. And that God, you are still bringing people into your kingdom. That God, in these, in these moments, Lord, when we haven't been able to gather together as, as believers, Lord, I thank you that you have still been able to work miraculously in lives and bring healing and bring hope, God, to transform hearts. 
And God, when we look at these past number of months, Lord, I thank you that that same story could be told of ourselves, Lord, that you have been so faithful. And so, God, upon this congregation and those who are watching online right now, Lord, I pray your blessing upon us. That, God, in these moments as we begin gathering together again, slowly at first, Lord, help us have wisdom. God, give us insight. Lord, help us to be able to reach new people, God, because there are uh, many chairs that need to be filled. And so, God, help us to have a new desire, new hope, new heart for those who are far away from you. God, open up new doors just as you have done online for us. God, open up doors physically that we can bring people to the kingdom of God in a new way. Lord, we truly do love you. Uh, God, I think of uh, those who've got tremendous needs in their life. A uh, young lady by the name of Angie that needs a touch from you because of a brain tumor who's here today. God, I pray right now, God, and, and would you join me in praying for her? God, we pray right now for her. We ask Jesus that you would shrink this tumor. God, as believers, we recognize that you're God who heals. When we see the stories told in the New Testament, and God, these stories have been uh, kind of echoed through, uh, through time, Lord, to our day as well. And so, God, we pray for healing in her life, and God, many others who need a touch from you. Lord, we believe, God, that you are going to minister powerfully to her, to her family, and to others, Lord, that need a touch from you. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, for those who are with us uh, physically in the building and those who are online, normally at this point, I would invite you to turn to somebody uh, to shake their hand, to give them a hug or something like that. But uh, kind of in light of everything that we're dealing with, uh, if you've got family near you, give them a big hug and let it be from everybody else uh, here today. If you got your family with you, give them high fives. Otherwise, air high fives, air hugs, whatever you need to do at this time. So thank you so much for being with us uh, today. All right. So yes, folks, things are a little bit different, right? When we come in, we, we feel it, we sense it within us. But here's the, 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 way that, the way that I am choosing to look at this is that this is an opportunity for God to do something new among us. And I appreciate the words uh, that Stephen spoke just a little bit ago. I think uh, we are feeling that, right? That, that everything has changed and yet we can't put your finger on how it's changed exactly and what that means for the next steps. But we are going to walk faithfully with the Lord and going to trust him in the season as we step into something totally new, uh, certainly for Life Church and many other churches. Uh, really around the world, around our globe, as we are together uh, discovering what this new reality is for us. Um, and it's okay uh, for us to, to experience something new. Uh, and let it be this moment for you to just say, all right, man, the, the pressure is on for me to begin sharing the gospel of Christ with my friends, my family. They don't know Jesus at this time to invite them either to watch online. And at time, time to time, I'm going to look here at camera three, we call it, uh, just to, because uh, that's our primary camera uh, for online. So whether you're online inviting your friends and sharing, or if you are here in person inviting your, uh, your friends and family to come uh, here to be with us physically, this is a new season, folks. And uh, God is up to something new. And let's embrace that. And let's see what God wants to do through each one of our lives. You've heard this phrase before, hopefully you have, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You ever heard that? I'm an old dog, somebody just said. Uh, my father-in-law, I believe, just said that, right? So that's my father-in-law, mother, oh, somebody else, okay. <laughs> oh, it's Big Jim that said that, that's great. Uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I, you know, uh, so I turned 50 this year. Uh, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, I turned 50. And I got my ARP card. I'm so, well, not yet, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on that line there. Should I get the ARP card? Uh, but, you know, so I turned 50 and I wonder, am I still pliable? Am I still open to new things as, you know, as I get older, right? Uh, we've heard that phrase before. We have an old dog. Our dog is about almost 12, I think, he turns this year, 11 and a half, something like that. Uh, can you, and, and yeah, teaching him a new trick is a very, very difficult thing. But he can learn. It just takes a little bit longer. Uh, there was a celebrated metal worker who was known in North, Northeast Minnesota for his excellent metalworking abilities, and that would be welding and things like that. He often remarked that he would rather teach welding to a drunk he found in a bar who had never held a welding torch in his hand. He'd rather teach that person than to hire a welder with previous training and experience. A man who had never been taught to weld was still teachable, but a man who already knew how to weld 
was not. Amen. We have to we have to come up against this in so many areas of our life. Um, it's kind of like th- th- this idea that you know just enough to get yourself in trouble. You ever been there before where, where, where you know just enough to start a project or to start something and then realize as you're part the way in it, go, oh, yeah, I guess I don't know everything uh, that I thought I knew about this. Uh, it's a bad thing to do that, like if you're mountain climbing. <laughs> I knew just enough to get me up the mountain, but now I don't know how to come back down the mountain. That would be a, uh, that would be a problem. Uh, when it comes to marriage... I know just enough to get me into trouble, right? Uh, it's, it's just like when, when you say to yourself as, as the man, I finally got my wife all figured out. Yeah, right. As soon as you say that, you know trouble is on the way because we don't have a clue, guys. Let me, get, let me fill you in. If you're newlywed like my daughter is to, to uh, my daughter Kelsey got married on Friday uh, to Johnny Langan and Lang. How do we say Langenegger, right? That's how uh, he's part of the church here. Been a long time part of the church uh, here at Life Church. But, uh, you know, uh, Johnny, you don't have a clue, just so you know. Okay. Um, when it comes to parenting, right? For those of you who have more than one child, uh, you think you've got it figured out until the, the next child comes along because all of your children are very different. I remember one time, so I've, I've got four kids. The two oldest are girls, and then we had Jace. Our boy, and I don't know where Jace is. I know he's here today, right? So we had we 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 thought we had it figured out, but we knew just enough to get ourselves into trouble with our son. And so with my girls, they would have a tendency to kind of stay nearby. They wouldn't stray too far away. And this one time, I was with Jace. He was probably three years old or something like this. And after this, you're not going to want me not going to want me to teach a parenting class. But so Jace is about three years old with me, and we go to Sam's Club. And I'm looking for tires, probably for my Bronco that was unfinished at the time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention to, to, the, to the tires and once in a while paying attention to Jace, right? So that's kind of the, the thing there. I thought I had it figured out. I knew enough to get myself into trouble. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I realized I'd been looking at the tires for a little bit. I know Jace is right here, right next to me. And so I turn to look to my son, Jace, who is right next to me as a three-year-old young boy. And what has happened? He's gone. We're in Sam's Club. Great place to lose a child, right? And so, so little, you know, I'm, I'm kind of even-keeled guy, and, and so I don't panic right away. And I'm like, you know, well, maybe he's just playing hide-and-seek. So I go over the other tires. Jace, oh, he's not there. And go another one. Oh, no, he's not there. And then the panic starts to set in a little bit as a parent. And I go to one of the, uh, one of the workers there, and I just calmly say, hi, I have lost my son. <laughs> Right? That's good parenting, right? And I lost my son, and within 30 seconds or so, that building was locked. This is in Minnesota. That building was locked down, nobody leaving or getting out. I mean, it was just just a crazy moment there. And then they got all their workers together, they formed a line, and they went through, and they they went through the entire building super quickly. And thankfully, my son was was found. I was very excited. And at that moment, you know, proud dad. So he was there uh, reading a book about Batman. That's where he was. And I should have known because he loved Batman uh, back then. Now I just wish he could open up a book and read today. But anyway, that's a whole other story uh, right there. Um, But I knew just enough to get myself into trouble. Uh, Another thing, uh, putting in a tile floor. We're finishing out our basement. I know just enough to get myself into trouble. So if you're ever at my home and you go down to the basement, do not look at the tile floor. If you do know tile, please talk to me afterwards. I might have to hire you to fix all the problems that I caused with that tile floor. But as I, real, as I get older, I realize I'm not as pliable as I'd like to be. I realize that as you know, flexible as I was as a young man and new ideas and things, I have a tendency, and I can't wait till I get old and cantankerous, <laughs> right? but I have a tendency to not be as pliable, not as bendable as I would like to be. There was this party being thrown for Jesus. He had just chosen his la- one of the last disciples to be part of that 12 uh, that he had. And this last one that he chose was the one that was furthest away from, uh, from anybody thinking that this guy was going to amount to much. He was not the stereotypical guy that you would pick uh, to be one of the disciples, one of those who were closest to Jesus. He was the least qualified, one of the least metrics that people would use uh, to say this person deserves to be part of Jesus' inner circle. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think it could be said of us as well. 
All of us, we can point to things in our life and situations in our life where we go, yeah, I'm not, I know I'm not worthy of Jesus at all. I'm not worthy of God even looking at my life and saying it's worth anything. But thankfully, Jesus was willing to look outside the box and to find the people that he desired to be close to him. It's easy to point to people that don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't travel in the same circles as us. And we say that they should be excluded from our group. Again, thank God that Jesus is not like that. So he invited this guy by the name of Levi, also known as Matthew in, the, in, in some, of the, uh, some of the versions you have. But Levi was chosen by Jesus to be in this inner circle of the disciples. There's one problem. Levi was a tax collector. Levi was part of the IRS, how does that make you feel, right? Whenever you go, oh, I just love the IRS. I hope they come knocking on my door. Just so exciting if they do that. Or I get that letter in the mail. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so glad they contacted me. Love you too. Send it right back, right? So the IRS, uh, like, just like the tax collectors of old, uh, they were not the group of people that you wanted to hang out with. They weren't the people that you go, oh, yeah, please come to my home. I would like to invite you in, <laughs> right? The tax collector was despised by pretty much everyone in the culture. They were known as corrupt. They were the betrayers. And here is Levi, who is an Israelite, who's a tax collector for the Roman Empire. He was the worst of the worst, and yet Jesus saw him and said, Levi, why don't you come be a part of this group of people that I'm starting? It was amazing that he chose this Levi and so out of gratitude, Levi throws a party. And who does Levi invite to that party? The only people that he knows, tax collectors. And so this is a party filled with tax collectors and other sinners, because these are the worst of the worst, and Jesus is right there with them. It's a motley crew of people. The religious leaders hear about this, these are the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers who are the, on the spiritual side of things, and the Sadducees. Those are names. If you read the New Testament, you're going to see those names show up over and over again. This religious group of leaders, they heard about this party that was being thrown for Jesus, who was esteemed to be this, you know, wonderful teacher, and yet now he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. They begin to challenge Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 30, and you'll, it'll be up on the screens or online for you. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. So they were complaining not to Jesus, but they were complaining to the disciples. They said this, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overhears them because they're not talking to Jesus, but he overhears them. And he answers, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What was Jesus talking about here? Jesus was, in essence, pointing at the Pharisees saying, you think you've got it all together. You know just enough to get yourself in trouble. I've come to those who are sick. I've come to those who need repentance. But Pharisees, you don't need it because you've got it all figured out. That's what Jesus is speaking to them. So the Pharisees, this isn't the way it's supposed to be done, Jesus. You can't be with people like this and expect to be righteous. These are the furthest people that the Pharisees would ever want to be associated with, and yet here's Jesus in the middle of them. Jesus sees the need that these people have to be with nobody other than him, and so he willingly goes to where they are. All these other tax collectors think it's great that they show up. They're in amazement that somebody would invite Levi um, or that uh, they were amazed that, uh, yeah, that Jesus would invite this Levi to be part of his inner circle. All the tax collectors used to be in at arm's length unless there would be some bribe or something like that. They used to be in an arm's length, not being embraced at all. And so they came to see who was this foolish guy, Jesus, who would invite Levi to be part of this inner circle. They couldn't believe it. These tax collectors were astounded. These Pharisees were suspicious and probably offended that Jesus would do this. In the stories that we've been talking about in these parables, oftentimes they are uh, parables of contrast. 
parables where Jesus is weighing uh, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world or the, the Roman Empire as, w- as it was known. And in this contrast, um, he was trying to bring to light principles that we are to live our lives by. Last week, we talked about the, uh, the contrast between uh, the, the wise builder who built upon the rock and the foolish builder, builder? <laughs> the foolish builder who built upon the sand and the fact that the storms came upon both of them, but only one stood, and that was the one who heard and then acted, not the one who just heard only. And so there's a contrast that Jesus is bringing between the Pharisees and that kind of religious system and then the kingdom of God. And he's moving this direction again. And the religious leaders now questioned Jesus, and they said to him, uh, they said to Jesus, these Pharisees, John's disciples, so John's disciples, this is talking about John the Baptist, so John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, really quickly, background, um, Pharisees hated John the Baptist, wanted nothing, in fact, eventually throw him in jail, and eventually uh, John the Baptist is beheaded because the Pharisees hated him. And yet here, because it's conducive to their argument, they point out that, oh yeah, John's disciples, we love them. (laughs) They're a great group of people, right? And look, they're just like us. John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Jesus, you're not doing it the right way. We've got it figured out. We know, Jesus, what you should be doing. Let us fix you, Jesus. That's what the Pharisees are saying. And to all of this, Jesus responds with a parable. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 36 says, He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new wine, but says the old is good. So it's easy to read into this parable some things that might not actually be there. And uh, there are times that I've heard this parable used uh, kind of as a bludgeon or a hammer when uh, somebody's trying to justify new things within the church. And, you know, those of you who like the old way of doing it, just get over it because Jesus said, we're pouring new wine into this thing, right? So so I've heard that done that way. That's not what this uh, this parable is describing at all uh, at this point. Uh, Is it saying that there's a difference between, you know, stylistic communication that we choose, you know, we do it the old way versus the new way. And is Jesus saying, well, the new way is better than the old way. I don't think that's what it's talking about. I believe there's more to it than this. Now, there's obviously a comparison between the old and new. There's no way to get around that uh, because that's kind of peppered throughout this entire parable. But the context here is a contrast between the Pharisees and the, the disciples of Jesus. There's a lot of conversation that's happening about, um, about the disciples and about the Pharisees and their disciples. It's been the focus of both the questions that the Pharisees are asking of the disciples, saying, hey, disciples, you're doing it this way, so, uh, you know, this is the wrong way to do this, and Jesus pipes in with this parable. So is the contrast that Jesus is drawing, is he saying that, you know, his disciples are better than the old Pharisees' disciples? And like they're going to get to have, a, have some sort of old-fashioned showdown. Remember as a kid playing Red Rover? It's like they're, you know, they all line up in a line on one side of the building, and they're like, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Thaddeus come over, right? And then they run across. Okay, I'm the only one that likes that. But anyway, right, are they having some sort of competition between old and new at this point? I don't think so. I remember growing up as a kid. Uh, um, anybody remember 501, uh, 501 button fly jeans? Remember those things? But the unshrunk version, what I'm talking about, that unsh- anybody raise your hand real quick online, you raise your hand if you remember the unshrunk version of the 501, uh, 501 buttonfly jeans. I remember the first time getting a pair of buttonfly 501 jeans. My mom brings them in and she holds them up to me and they are like up to here, <laughs> right? And I'm going, mom, those are not going to fit me. There is no way those things are going to fit me. And she says, no, 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 no. These things are going to fit. Look, right? It says unshrunk. So we got to shrink this thing down. Remember this process? And so you would take them, you would wash them in hot water, and then you would dry them, and they would slowly begin to shrink. And then pretty soon, after a number of washings, you would put them on 
mm, and they would just fit like a glove, those 501 button fly jeans, right? At least I remember them fit. I haven't worn a pair of 501s in forever, right? But there they were, that, that whole idea of they started large, but then they shrunk down. Now, as a kid, I would wear those jeans, and I would wear those jeans out. And pretty soon, at the, there'd be a patch, or there'd be a, you know, a hole in the, uh, in the knees there, and then my mom would attempt to patch those jeans. Remember having to patch jeans over and over again, right? And so, um, uh, what she would do is she would make sure to take a shrunken piece of cloth and put there for the patch, because otherwise, if you took some of the unshrunk jean fabric, you cut it out to the size you needed, what would happen to that unshrunk jean fabric in that patch? It would shrink the first time you would watch that, and then that new patch would absolutely rip or tear, or the tear that you had to begin with would get much larger. So is Jesus making a distinction here that the old or the new genes are better? I don't think he's really making a distinction that the old or new is better in this case. He's just making an observation that these two, the old and the new, that there's an incompatibility at times between them. Now, wineskin. I haven't had a whole lot of experience with wine, right? And, uh, but what I understand about the way that it used to be done, and uh, so this is like more of a much more modern wineskin, but back in Old Testament, New Testament time, they would literally take the skin of an animal and they would begin to dry, there's a drying process they would do, and then they would put the wine into the skin of that animal. And there are wineskins that we have to this day that are from that time that still look like the animal from which they came. So be like a goat hanging in your house filled with wine. That's basically what it looked like. It was really bizarre. Go look it up online. It's uh, very scary. But it would be there, right? And, and the process of the wine aging and fermenting, that, that wineskin would begin to stretch. And then over time, when the wine has been in there for a while, that skin would become a more brittle and set in its ways and set in the form that it's in. And so then you would use that wine, pour out that wine, and then when you were ready to start a new vat of wine or, or begin to uh, mature the next, um, the next wine, if you poured it back into that old wine skin, as the wine would ferment and begin to age, it would break that wine skin, and not only would the old wine skin now be broken, but all the wine would leak out and you would lose both. It's not a good thing. And that's why Jesus said, hey, you got to put the new wine into the new wine skins. So is Jesus making a, a determination that uh, old versus new when it comes to the wine skin, that it's, that it's better or more useful one or the other? I don't necessarily think he's making a distinction there. But it's interesting to take into consideration the context of this, whole, um, of this whole passage. Could it be that Jesus is not as concerned with the old and the new, but he is deeply concerned with the condition of the heart of the disciples and the Pharisees? That he's much more concerned with the big picture that when something new needs to happen in your life, what condition is your heart in to be able to receive that something new that God is up to? Because remember, the, the Pharisees, they had it all figured out. They perhaps were that shrunken piece of cloth, or they were that, that brittle wineskin. They had it all figured out. They were mature in what they believed, and yet they were not open at all to what God was doing. The disciples of Jesus, on the other hand, uh, they, they were not the most educated, potentially, of the group of people that Jesus could have chosen. Uh, for many of, the, many of the young kids in, uh, in the New Testament time, their education stopped, their formal education stopped at about the age of 12 or 13. And then after that, it was uh, kind of a learned apprentice skill that they, would, uh, that they would have to do. But their formal education stopped at the age of 12 or 13. And yet they were chosen by God to be in a position to receive from the Lord something that they were potentially open to. They were hungry for the unexpected, they, uh, for this transformation, for forgiveness, for healing. They were expectant of the presence of God and Jesus so that they lived accordingly with this idea of expectation. Jesus, what are you going to do today? We're open, God, to whatever you want to do today. And so, Lord, change us and transform us. Do something new and we're going to receive it. There's an innocence among the disciples, not of life experience, because they'd all experienced life, but there's an innocence among them uh, when it came to this new spiritual expectation that Jesus the Messiah was pouring out on them day after day after day. They were open and hungry. The Pharisees, 
have become old in heart, in mind, in expectation. Their garment was incompatible with what Jesus was up to. Their wine skin had already been filled and had become brittle. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here. Uh, there's a, uh, a great statement uh, by, a, by a Jewish teacher, Elisha ben Avuya. He says this, He who studies as a child, unto what can he be compared? He can be compared to ink written upon a fresh or a new sheet of paper. But he who studies as an adult, unto what can he be compared? He can be compared to ink written on a smudged sheet of paper that's previously been written on and erased. And I think the idea here is that we would be those people who've got that, that new sheet of paper in our lives that Jesus can write a new story upon us. And I don't know if you've ever felt this before in your own life, but there are times when I feel like I'm incredibly open to what God wants to do in my life. And there are other times when I'm unfortunately very closed. And the disciples fell into the same, same trap. And in Matthew chapter 18, we have the story that begins to unfold for the disciples. And so about three years passed from the time of, of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 5 all the way then now to Matthew chapter 18. It's about three years that passes. And in those three years, the system of the world began to work, work its way into the life of the disciples, just like it's done in our lives from time to time. And so pretty soon, the conversations that they're having are something along the lines of this, and I'm going to read between the lines here. Hey, guys, we're doing pretty good. we got big crowds that are gathering together, and uh, we're pretty important here. And now I'm beginning to wonder, maybe Peter and John, they're, they're starting to feel pretty good about themselves. I wonder who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus, who can sit on your right and on your left when you come to, your, to, to the final paradise, Jesus, when you finally come into your own as the king, who's going to sit on your right and your left? Jesus realized that there's a brittleness that started to come into the lives of the disciples. He noticed that there was a shrunkenness, not open to things that are new anymore. And I feel that at times, especially in the season we've just been through especially when all we've been able to do is, is uh, be online and we seem isolated from one another. And yet then we gather together again and it's not like it used to be. And we wonder, God, are you up to something new in our lives? Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus realized, uh-oh, <laughs> this sounds like the Pharisees talking. This sounds like the system, the religious system of the world talking at this point, rather than the grace that I have extended to you. He called a child whom he put among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus was taking them back to that point of that pliable wineskin, to that unshrunken cloth, that sense that, God, you're up to something new. And Jesus was pointing out unto them that there had become a brittleness to them. There had become this unwillingness to, to once again be shaped by who Jesus was. It's the position of the heart that Jesus is most concerned about. That, to me, is what this parable is all about. Are we in a place where God can do within us what he desires because we're pliable and open to the change and transformation that he desires to give to each one of us? Have you put yourself in a position of knowing just enough, of feeling like you've got it all together just to get yourself into trouble because you let your guard down? You say, I've, I've dealt with this temptation successfully a hundred times. So I've got this. Not realizing in the time that you become brittle. And that 101st time you fall. Because you're not taking seriously what God's called us to do. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here as we close out. And if you're online, just this is that moment for us to just uh, kind of look inward for just, uh, just a, a chance for God and His Spirit to begin working on us. Here this morning, I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads for a moment and online, this, this, taking this posture of humility and openness to the Lord at this time. Um, Jesus changes everything for us. 
Jesus gives us new life and new hope and a new destiny. But have you become brittle? Have you become a little more closed off to what Jesus wants to do in your life? Have you become a little less open to the things that, that God is pouring into your life and, and you've become adults and grown up and now you know just enough to get yourself into trouble? Maybe you find yourself in that position of trouble. You're saying, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I've let my guard down. Jesus, I've become cold and hard towards the things that you desire for me in my life. If that's you where you are in this building or you're online in this moment of decision, if that's you, can you just lift your hand very quickly? It's just a point of contact. Say, Jesus, this is where I am. I need to be reminded, just like the disciples, uh, Jesus, I need to be reminded, boy, I've got to be pliable. I've got to be open to the new things of God. If that's you, lift your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, all of us commit to that openness. All of us commit to that innocence of a child coming before you. God, we are humbled by the responsibility you've given to us as the people of God, especially in this new season for the church and this expression of, uh, of Jesus Christ in the world around us. Father, we know there are many that are watching online right now. There are many who have gathered together here physically in this building. But God, our purpose has not changed regardless of where we gather. God, you've called us to reach into this world around us to bring hope to a hopeless world. And Jesus, we cannot be brittle if we're hoping to be used by you. God, we've got to be, we've got to be pliable for your spirit to move within us and through us. And so God, make us new. Help to keep us open to you. And Jesus, we commit ourselves today to following after you. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. God, I thank you for these who have been able to gather in person and those who are gathering online now that are watching. Father, I'm so grateful for them, God, because we have this testimony, Lord, that you have always been good to us. And God, even in those moments when we become more brittle than we realize, God, when we are shrunken in more ways than we realize, Lord, I thank you that you want to renew us and bring us back to that position of grace in you. So I'm going to invite us to sing this song together as we uh, close out. God, that you would uh, one more time help us realize that you are a good, good God. That, Lord, as we follow after you, Lord, you've given us a testimony of your grace. And, Lord, we look to you in this time. I'm going to invite us to lift our hands to him this morning as a sign of surrender as we sing together uh, this incredible song. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, we lift to you our hearts and our lives, God. And God, just that song, Lord, we will sing of the goodness of God. Lord, for those who've made a decision today for you, Lord, we rejoice with them. For those, God, who make that, that rededication, Lord, of areas of their life that become brittle, God, we rejoice with them as well. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. And God, as we leave from this place, as we uh, turn off the live stream, God, I ask for your blessing, God, that we would live boldly in this kingdom of God. And the Lord, when we come in contrast uh, with the world around us, God, and the, the kingdom of this world is vying for our attention, God, help us to not fall into the trap, but God, help us to continue to live the kingdom of Jesus Christ within us, in this world around us. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning.
Folks, we have our work cut out for us. God's got great plans for Life Church Utah, so thank you. Please invite your friends and family to be a part of next week. Don't forget our yard signs that are out there in the lobby. We'd love to have you uh, take advantage of that. Drop that in your yard. And then the final thing, on your way out, if you're able to give and you haven't been able to give online, want to give in person, our ushers are there ready to receive. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you.